I'd like to suggest that after Easter Sunday, one of the most important days in the history of Christianity was the day that Lazarus died the second time. As near as we can tell, he didn't become immortal. He died, Jesus raised him from the dead. And then eventually the time came when he died again. And think about what that meant, what it would have meant for Martha and Mary and all the others, assuming they were still there, but some of them were still there. I mean, what would they be thinking? What were their expectations? You know, he died once. All right, it's happened again. Jesus can take care of this. If it was before Jesus' own resurrection, he could just come and do it. If it was after the resurrection, even better. He ought to be able to do it easier. And how did they handle that? How did it sit with them that now their brother had died? Could they really believe that everything wonderful that happened when Jesus raised him from the dead hadn't been lost by the second and presumably final physical death of their brother. But just think about that for a moment. And I'd like to suggest that the subsequent history of Christianity really hinged on how they reacted to that moment. Because either Jesus' life and resurrection and all of that was just about him going around and fixing things that seemed to be out of place, healing people who couldn't walk, raising people from the dead. Either that was the main point of his mission or it was something much more. And was it something you could hold on to even in the face of the tragedy of the death of a brother or an illness that wasn't healed or a marriage, God forbid, that maybe fell apart or you fill in the blank? And obviously, if we take our faith seriously, what we're saying is all the joy of the resurrection of Easter Sunday, all the joy of Lazarus coming out of the tomb alive, that isn't diminished even when Lazarus dies for a second time. But man, I don't know if you're like me, it can be a lot harder to swallow that one. And that's why I always like to remind myself that there are really two resurrections we celebrate over the order of the church year. The one, of course, is Easter Sunday, but the second one is what I like to call the resurrection of Lent. Not the resurrection of Easter, but the resurrection of Lent. There's only one Easter Sunday. That's all we ever need. I mean, we wonderfully remember it. It's coming up in a few weeks, but that's an easy sell, right? The shadows, the veils are off the crosses and the statues. The music is wonderful. Flowers will be all over the place. You'll be able to smell St. Joe's from Milwaukee Avenue in a good way. That's an easy sell, right? But do we really believe in the midst of Lent that that one resurrection is all we need? And so when I say the resurrection of Lent, that's really how they had to deal with the second death of Lazarus. Do we really believe that what was accomplished by Jesus' resurrection comes to us in the midst of sort of the somber reflection and what do I need to do to save my life and convert and how I deal with these sins? And those are real, I'm not doubting that for a minute. But in some sense, the real task of Lent is not to say, well, let me work on this thing and you know, try to stop doing it or give something up or take something on. At the end of the day, the only real mission of Lent 
is to somehow restore the hope that we claim we ought to have, to somehow really live as if the confidence we profess was something that was governing the decisions that we make. And here's why I often say to people, we focus on our sins during Lent so much, but let that go for a minute. I like that talk, right? Don't worry about your sins. Instead, focus on your temptations. We don't always give in to our temptations, right? That's great. We don't always sin. But pay attention to your temptations, because I guarantee you, your temptation is going to come precisely where your hope is most fragile. You are going to be tempted precisely where you lack or really struggle with confidence. It's always going to be that way, whether you give in and sin or you don't. Those temptations are incredibly valuable for discernment in the spiritual life. They're like bullseyes, precisely where the Lord is saying, here is where your hope needs to be rekindled. You even see it in Mary, excuse me, in Martha, in the gospel today, right? We know about Martha from Luke's gospel. You know, she's the doer, she's the one who likes to try and arrange things so that other people can have an easier time or a more enjoyable meal. And if you remember in that gospel, what she says to Jesus is, Lord, don't you care that I have so much work to do? Don't you care that nobody is helping me here? That's the takeaway from the Martha and Mary gospel in Luke. Martha wants to feel that she is cared for. There is where her confidence wavers. There is where she struggles to have hope. And so in this gospel from John, when Jesus shows up, what is it that Martha says? If you had been here, Lord, you could have done something. Martha gets that language. If you have the power to do something and make it happen, then that's how you show that you love someone. You show up and you do it. And Jesus says, you know, yes, he'll rise. And, and Martha kind of says what we might say. Yes, eventually he'll be resurrected. But that's not governing the decision of the here and now for her. And let's cut her some slack. She's as human as the rest of us. So as a little Lenten spiritual exercise, you might just ask yourself, where is your hope most fragile? And for most of us, it's not going to be some existential theological hope in Jesus. Or it's going to be a struggle in hope in human relationships. It's going to be a struggle to find hope in our own hearts, in our own sense of who we are. It's going to be a struggle to have confidence to actually live as if we believe what we say about all the glory of Easter Sunday. And I wish I could say there was some shortcut around that. But there's really only one way, and that's maybe just to take a baby step as if the hope were solid, as if there were reason, even in the face of the illness that might not be healed, even in the face of the job loss that might not come back, even in the face of the disappointment or resentment, when all those voices of discouragement come in and say, you know, he's in the tomb now and he's not coming out this time. We had Jesus once and that was great, but he's not here. In the face of that, even when the external doesn't change, the hope of Easter Sunday, which somehow has to become the hope of the midst of Lent, is simply to say, I'm going to ask as if I have reason for hoping in that way. And where the rubber hits the road, what that looks like is extend yourself 
in that relationship. Take an action in the face of what seems to be embarrassment or fear. I don't want to do this because what if everything falls apart and I make a fool of myself or I anger them or everything comes down? I just want to keep it hidden back in that hole, in that tomb, where maybe I hate it, but at least it seems to be safe. My prayer for all of us in this fifth week of Lent is simply that we might recognize for ourselves where our hope is fragile and where it might be strengthened. And I cannot tell you how grateful I feel that we have Lainey and Annalisa with us today. Because if seeing two young people make their first communion does not reignite a sense of hope in faith in your own hearts, then I don't know what will. So go back, if you remember, and most of us most certainly do, to your first communion, to the first time you held out your hands or your tongue. Body of Christ, amen. None of that has gone away. You'll never get a booster shot for your baptismal grace. It's always there for the rest of our lives. It was there for Martha, it was there for Mary, it's here for Lainey and Annalisa, and it's certainly here for us. But we've got to believe that what happened on Easter Sunday is every bit as strong in the fifth week of Lent.